0: I got out of that alive because I was lucky and because I had the experience like in all my 22 years of climbing leading up to this moment.
1: Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin, and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show, where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also what they're passionate about beyond the fight with gravity. Now, today we're chalking up for part two of my chat with Nina Williams. If you haven't heard part one yet, I recommend starting there, as we kind of deviated from the usual format to look at Nina's climbing and life through the lens of relationships. I loved that conversation, got so much great feedback from you all on that. So if you haven't heard it, even if you have heard it, go back and check that one out again. And now here in part two, we return to the usual cozy struggle format that we're all used to as we explore Nina's training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also her passions beyond climbing. Now, Nina, as you all know, is a highly accomplished climber pretty much in every discipline of climbing. I don't know about speed climbing. Maybe she doesn't do that. If she does decide to take on speed climbing, she's going to dominate that as well. So watch out, speed climbers. I mean, she boulders up to V13, highballs to V11, big walls to 13B, and sport climbing to 514B, which came just recently with the impressive send of Rumney's classic test piece, China Beach. We talk quite a bit about that in this episode as we explore Nina's preparation for that route, along with her take on training energy systems, short person tactics managing fear of falling and so much more including y'all oh my gosh a story that she shared of a free solo gone wrong that had my palms sweating right here in my podcast slash utility closet this conversation has it all Now, my strength training block continues here as we are smack in the middle of summer mugginess in Kentucky, and I've been doing a lot of work on the hangboard. And my favorite new addition to my setup, y'all, comes from show sponsor Frictitious Climbing, and that is their revolutionary doorway mount. You guys, this is the coolest. It allows you to do heavy hangs without drilling, without screwing or mounting anything permanently into your walls. You just pop it into your doorway and then mount any hangboard onto it. I love the boards that Frictitious makes, and they give you 20% off when you buy one of their boards with the doorway kit. Or you could mount any other board that you have, a Beastmaker or whatever. They even have a really cool pulley attachment for when you want to reduce the load like I'm doing right now as I work on one-arm hangs and that kind of thing. If you cannot drill a board into your wall whether you rent or are a student or maybe your significant other just doesn't want a chalky hangboard always on display, you can store this thing under your bed or whatever. And then in seconds, it pops into your doorway, you get your workout in, and then you can make it disappear all over again. It is such a cool system. You guys hit the link in the show notes or pop over to fictitiousclimbing.com to see it in action. It's so cool. Now, something you're going to hear Nina break down today in our training chapter discussion is how she works on various energy systems, from strength to power endurance to endurance. And if you are a self-coached climber, that can get pretty overwhelming to kind of figure out which workout falls into which bucket, proper sets and reps, that kind of thing. But I'm telling you, the absolute best and easiest way for self-coached climbers to stay on track is by using the Crimped app. Crimped, which is totally free to download, you guys, groups their workouts into these categories. Endurance. Endurance power endurance, strength, and conditioning. Boom, no confusion. You just scroll through each category to find loads of protocols to level up whatever you're looking to focus on. The conditioning section right now has been my favorite as I have been spending a ton of time lifting weights, building up core strength, and working on my mobility, which is terrible. But it's getting better with this app. It's helping me get in shape for when I start to focus on the fall season. And there's even a little bit of game theory in there with the way that you complete each of the workouts and close out the colorful bars each week, which for me adds like the perfect amount of motivation and reward. I am definitely far more consistent with my training when I've got this app keeping me honest and on track. I think you're going to love it. Hit that link in the show notes or just search crimped, C-R-I-M-P-D, in your app store to download it for free and take your training to new heights. One last quick note here for you all, if you are a patron or subscriber, thank you, I love you, you get an extended version of this episode. It's ad-free, but it also has bonus content, so make sure you're listening to this through your exclusive podcast player, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or on Patreon, so you can get that extra content which comes at the end, and I'll tell you more about that after we get our peaches in gear for this conversation with Nina Williams. All right, so let's let's kind of now bring it back to where we typically start on this show, which is uh, training, and and where you struggle uh, or where you have struggled with your training, Nina.
0: I mean, I struggle with motivation, you know, just like everyone else. I I struggle sometimes with guilt of not going to the gym. Less so now because I, in addition to climbing, I've started doing a bunch of yoga for the past couple of years. I've been cycling a bunch in preparation for some alpine goals that I have. So I have a lot of different reasons to go to the gym, like even on a rest day. I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym and you know, stretch my back for camel pose, or I'm going to like do wrist extensions for my elbow tendonitis or whatever, whatever, like I ha- I'm always giving myself a reason to be curious, but I've also struggled with like perfectionism and thinking, especially for climbing with hangboarding, strength training. Like when I was training for China beach, I was like, am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. And is this whole 12 week plan going to be a total waste? Like, am I training the right thing? I think back to when I was training for the swarm. I I have not sent the swarm. It's a lifetime boulder for me, but I did a lot of training for that boulder. And looking back, I was like, wow, I was not training the right stuff. I wasn't doing the right stuff and I didn't do the boulders. (laughs) I haven't done it. So was it a waste? In some ways, sure, but I learned a lot. I learned from just as much from not doing that boulder as I did, as I might have would have from doing it. So, I mean, this is nothing new either. Like, oh, as long as you learn something from the struggle, like, it's never a waste. So much easier to say verbally than to accept it and practice it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to drain for the thing and then not do the thing. But, you know, for the swarm, for example, I think uh, obviously that's still out there and, and well within your ability to... Get after and and to send and I want to talk about that I, let's let's revisit the swarm maybe down in the mental game chapter because I want to hear about kind of the the mindset around a long project like that that's that's been tough, kind of a nemesis project, which we all have, regardless of the grade that we're climbing. But staying on training here for a second, and I think training hard for something and not doing the thing is of course in, in a way disappointing, but also it's still making you stronger. And you post training videos. Some really great ones of you training hard, like in a climbing sense, but also yoga. And And you post videos every once in a while of you with a group of gals, and, and you call yourselves the Peach Gang. So we're in the training chapter here. I, I need to know a little bit about what the Peach Gang is.
0: So Peach Gang started out kind of as a joke. It's a bunch of ladies. It's a bunch of my lady friends that get together roughly every Tuesday, and we do booty workouts. We do peach workouts. <laughs> <laughs> and I started it. I started it because I was doing my own, I'll use the anatomical term, glute workouts. I've been having some knee issues and my PT recommended that I strengthen my glute medius because it was weak. And so I was like, okay. So I started doing glute med workouts and my knee pain did not go away. It turns out it's like some other thing, but my peach got a little bit bigger. And I was like, I kind of like this (laughs) and turns out, I mean, this already fit into my training philosophy that I've had for a long time, but turns out when you show up and are consistent and put in the work, you usually get results as it pertains to like strength training and weightlifting. So I started doing consistent glute workouts and I joke around, I'm like, now it's just purely cosmetic. I mean, you know, if I can grow my booty, I'm going to try and grow my booty because- who doesn't want a nice booty? Like, I'll say that. <laughs> and I started joking around with my friends about it and they were and I was they were like, Oh, I've always wanted to get a nice booty, or I've always wanted to like do those kind of workouts, but I don't know where to start. I don't have the motivation. I don't know what and I was like, just work out with me. Just so, so
1: I understand, you're exclusively training your butt in these <laughs> sessions? Yes. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. So we all, so, you know, apparently one of the hacks that I'm learning here is that I need to devote a day to train my butt and then I will be on the road to climbing mid-14. That's fantastic, first of all. I love it. I love that there's like a booty day. But also you found a community around it. So you're having fun. It's friends. You're training. It's
0: probably as much
1: fun as it is physical improvement.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's as much fun, if not more than the actual training and physical improvement part. But it's like an opportunity for me to share and show with people that I love and care about, like, hey, like training's great. And it's really not that difficult once you get the, you know, the concepts of strength versus strength, endurance versus pure endurance versus power, like kind of the basic foundations of training down exemplified through the peach workouts. Because a lot of those basic principles will apply to hangboarding or, you know, up arms day, like upper arm body workouts, pull up stuff. Like training doesn't have to be that complicated. Mm. A lot of the basics will work. The hard part is doing it for 4, six, eight, 12 weeks. And one way I've gotten better at that is recognizing it's a lifetime endeavor. Like I love training because I want to train my whole life. And I don't have to be training every waking second of my day of my life. Like I go through phases with it, but I always am curious in, in how I can change something up and do something for the next like eight to 12 weeks and then make a little tweak or just always being open to something, but just doing it, just going to the gym and sticking with it. That's is your,
1: is your training plan kind yeah. of, because you have switched disciplines, from comp to boulder to highball to big wall to sport, you've put these chapters of focus in your life on them. And is the training plan for each one to do, just go and do the thing a ton, kind of the Chris Sharma training plan? Or do you write yourself a program, a specific training program, off the wall program that's going to help yeah. to level you up to get into that thing?
0: Yeah, both, both and. So I write my own training programs for when I, now that I've been sport climbing, I, so I switched to sport climbing in part because I reached a pretty big plateau in my bouldering. Felt like all the strength training in the world, I wasn't seeing any results. And so I've started sport climbing and I, I changed my training plan to reflect way more power endurance, strength endurance specifically, not necessarily power endurance. There's a slight difference, but I I, I kind of in my head, I don't know how true this is. like scientifically or physiologically, but in my head, I have this like pyramid of energy and the tippy top being all the strength and power. And then middle of the pyramid is like strength endurance and then the bottom being endurance. So I guess it's like the triangle of capacity, how much capacity I could have. And all of my focus was in the strength and power part. But I think I hit a plateau in part because I just could, I had no access, no capacity in the power endurance and more in the endurance base because I just had never worked those areas. Never needed to. Never needed to. So, yeah. <laughs> climbing like short stuff, mostly short stuff. <laughs> but then when I started, I guess like when I got into highballing, and then now that I'm in sport climbing, I was like, oh, I have such a larger reservoir of energy and strength endurance. And I'm convinced that's actually helping my bouldering a little bit right now. I'm getting. I'm starting to get back into bouldering. I want to get back into bouldering. I have some like bigger bouldering goals I want to revisit. And so part of that process has been how can I expand my energy reservoir so that I can continue to push myself and like expand my strength in a way that still complements like everything else, my sport climbing and my drag climbing.
1: Yeah, I love that. So just to get nerdy for a second on kind of energy systems, which we like to do sometimes here... Kind of the one informs the other, the one helps the other, as you're just saying, like b- building out endurance or strength endurance has even helped on shorter climbs like boulders. What are your go to training interventions or kind of methodologies for training like top end power, like finger strength or power, whichever, you know, strength, the ability to kind of carry a, a heavy load and power a load at speed. I think, right, is kind of what we typically would talk about in that in that world. And then endurance. Essentially being able to climb moderate to, you know, slightly more than moderate stuff just forever. Those are two very different things. But for myself as a sport climber that climbs at the red, I need both of those things. This is a selfish question, but I'm the host, so I get to ask selfish questions. My my big limiter is definitely like a boulder problem in the middle of a route. I'm far more of kind of an endurance climber, jugs for days, even on steep stuff, pretty good. But if I get like a V4 in the middle of a, you know, 40 feet up. That's usually what's going to spit me off for the grade that I'm climbing at, which is I'm trying to climb 13A this fall, but more of a mid-12 climber, to be honest. In any case, as a sport climber, you kind of have to train up both of those things. You're naturally more strong, more powerful. It sounds like kind of that's just based on your background, but it does help to level that up and then also fill up that endurance bucket. So just for you, what have been the go-to type interventions when you're training those two systems up
0: i i could go on so many different tangents on this but in a nutshell for strength and power i know i think hangboarding and like strength training is experiencing a less popular kind of phase right now but like i'm a big i'm a big fan of finger strength fingerboarding, hangboarding whether it's like using the tension block or hanging on the hangboard Moon boarding, like some more like climbing style type where you're like snatching the holes and you're grabbing onto like weird messed up positions. Like, you know, don't injure yourself, but any, so power is strength plus speed, right? So you need some kind of contact, some like grabbing onto and engaging the fingers. Campus board is another in the past, in my younger days, (laughs) I love the campus board. I can't do it anymore because it messes my elbows up, but Mm -hmm. campus board, moon board, I would say tension block right now. I'm on a big tension block fan for strength and power.
1: Like lifting weight um, off the ground, you're saying?
0: Yeah, lifting weight off the ground. I also do, you know, you can do one arm hangs if you have that, if you're into that, on the hangboard, on a beast maker, on a tension board, or double, you know, the classic 10 seconds on or five seconds on with a bunch of weight. Right. You know, whatever is most accessible to you. Because also th- all the rest of the stuff, like you, with training – You find out what works for you, what you can do on a consistent basis, something that's simple enough for you to do consistently. That's it. That's all you got to do for training, simplicity and consistency. It doesn't have to be that crazy. But in that same vein, there's a lot of options. So I'll try and keep it short. So for power and strength, my go-tos, campus board, moon board, and fingerboarding. And then for power endurance, I've been really into drop sets so for instance for hangboarding you will hang for say five seconds with a ton of weight and then you drop the weight you drop you know maybe 50 percent of the weight or something and then you hang for another like eight to ten seconds or if you're doing weighted pull-ups you know you do three max weighted pull-ups with a bunch of weight and then you drop some of the weight and you do another like eight pull-ups or so or maybe Mm -hmm. five pull-ups because that simulates what you would be doing on a route you're like putting a lot of energy trying really hard for a short period of time and then you still have to climb afterwards right. you still have to continue putting energy out so like yeah the drop set format i've also used that with weight so for china beach i trained i did a lot of dumbbell rows because i wanted to increase my lat strength and so i would do like between three to five reps with like 60 pounds and then I would drop the weight to like 30, 25 and do another eight to 10 reps just to keep that that pump going. Yeah. How many sets are
1: you doing of that drop sets typically?
0: So the first, I generally follow in a four week training plan. I'll do like three sets the first week and then I do four sets the next week and then I do five and five the last two weeks. Cool. Progressive overload, just always adding a little bit more. All right, good.
1: Let's uh, dive into nutrition now. Nina, where have you struggled in that area?
0: I've been fortunate enough to have generally not struggled with nutrition. Throughout my whole life, I've had a really good appetite and ability to metabolize that food, the food that I eat. I when I was in high school my high school friends would call me the trash can because I would just eat whatever else anybody didn't eat <laughs> I love food I did struggle with food when I was working the swarm with one particular trip my most my recent trip which was a couple years ago now I spent a lot of time training and then I got injured right before the trip so I went to Bishop and I' had been planning on staying in Bishop for like Two months or something. So I had a lot of time, but I was rehabbing my injury while I was in Bishop and also, you know, trying to eventually work my way up to trying my project. And I got in my head of like, oh, I have to be at a certain weight. Like the only way I'll have a chance at sending this project is by being light. And so mm. it was really interesting because this was the exact time that the documentary Light came out right. about, you know, eating disorders and climbing. <laughs> and I just remember watching the documentary while I was in this mindset and being like, "Oh yeah, like, I should get light for <laughs> climbing, <laughs> like I should shed the weight." It kind of had this weird opposite effect on me. Right. Even though I was <laughs> in that documentary for a brief second as a talking head, but it was messed up. Like I was like r- I was intermittent fasting which you know again as a benefit of its own it can be manageable but i was like intermittent fasting i was having all these weird food things like doing weird stuff with my snacks and it sucked it really sucked so
1: what it what was the impact like how did that make you feel or what was the injury recovery like how did you recognize that what you were you know, tinkering with there was not beneficial? Uh,
0: well, hard to say, like, if it was just the nutrition. Ultimately, you know, I hadn't been training right for this climb and I wasn't strong enough. I was also I was with my fiance at the time and we were like having issues and like a lot of his eating habits were like influencing me. And it was like a, the perfect storm of everything going on. Mm -hmm. So, but I do remember like the breaking point, it was like the last few days I had on the climb. I had just done like a 24 hour bone broth cleanse (laughs) and I went up to the climb on my last day and had a horrible session on it. And I just remember like, like walking down, driving away from Bishop being like, you know, I'm glad I didn't send because what would that have taught me? What would that have reinforced in my head at that time that like killing myself by restricting food and mentally like agonizing over this climb like it just it would have been like a terrible lesson. (laughs) So since then, since I have, uh, yeah, I've changed my life a lot since that time. And I've learned that it's actually great to eat carbs. It's great to eat protein. I operate best when I'm exercising a lot and being really active so that I can eat the food that I want to eat and not stress about it I've also recognized like my body when it's in a lean phase like when I do cut because I think cutting a little bit of weight for a short period of time is fine and I've done that I feel lean and muscular and like in project mode and that's great and then I gain the weight back and I'm like I like my body this way too when I'm like when I have an extra 10 pounds on me like it's nice I like my body either way So just kind of accepting that. I know that this is not quite nutrition. It's more like body image. But I think that's an important part of nutrition is the acceptance of your body based on the nutrition that you're feeding it. But nutrition specifically, I've been on a huge protein kick, especially since doing Peach Gang. And I'm like, in order to grow my peach, I need protein. So (laughs) that's made it really easy for me. I, I do eat meat. I try to eat a lot of lean proteins like ground turkey, fish, chicken. Occasionally red meat, but, you know, Greek yogurt, like whole wheat, carbs, just, yeah, all the good stuff that I think is helping me, I assume because it makes me feel good.
1: (laughs) And then is there anything that you do, like, is there your, what's like the go-to, like crag fuel or, you know, do you have a handful of gummy bears before putting in a hard attempt that, you know, any kind of rituals, food rituals when you're out trying hard?
0: I don't like to eat super heavy stuff in the morning. When I go to the crags, I honestly like I like bars. I've been really into Sasha's send bars lately. And I also like macro bars. Neither of them are plugs. I just genuinely like eat those things right now. <laughs> like fruit, bananas, dates. I've gotten into turkey wraps, like tortilla, just like turkey and mayonnaise. I'm a mayonnaise girl. Sorry. For those who you know. I think people have strong opinions about that. But I just do like turkey and mayonnaise wrapped in like these little burritos, tortillas. So yeah.
1: I think as long as you're not dipping your French fries in mayonnaise, we're cool. Oh God! Oh no!
0: I already apologized. Well,
1: no, the silence is deafening. Oh, my wife does this too, so it's not like you're in bad company. But I mean, it's just—it's not right, Nina. It's not. It's just not. It's not right.
0: I agree. I agree. It's terrible.
1: Alright y'all, just a quick breather here to shout out Fizzy Vantage, the official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle. I have personally been a paying customer of Fizzy Vantage for a couple of years now, and this stuff is just the best of the best if you want to level up your training and your performance. And we all know how important it is to get enough quality protein every day, and Fizzy Vantage absolutely nails it with their weapons-grade whey and vegan PowerPlex proteins. They are clean, they're affordable, and they come in really delicious flavors, and it also dissolves super easily so you don't get any of those gross chunks like you sometimes get with other protein mixes, you know what I'm saying? I love this stuff. Look, it's no surprise that Pros like Alex Magos, Daniel Woods, Natalia Grossman, Amity Warm, Jonathan Segrist, and so, so many more are using FizzyVantage every single day to level up their nutrition game. I've never been able to push myself harder or recover faster than I have since using FizzyVantage to support my training. It's just been a game changer. If you are looking for that extra edge, hit that link in your podcast app or use code STRUGGLE15 to save 15% off any full-price nutrition order at FizzyVantage.com. All right, let's get back to the chat here. All right, let's focus on tactics now, Nina. And I'd like to look at this at least first uh, through the lens of China Beach. 14B, incredible send that you just recently had. And and one of the posts that you made, which I I loved, was that you noted that you were the shortest person to ever send this route. And uh, I spoke with Lynn Hill about this on, on the podcast about a year ago about kind of short person tactics and there never seems to be uh, uh, the right height right at least for those of us like myself where I have a, a bag of excuses that I like to carry around with me I'm either too tall or too short for any certain pitch but you ran into this on China Beach where essentially you had to come up with some new tactics some new technique on the route because of your height and so I if it sounds good let's start there I'd like to hear about China Beach as a shorty.
0: Yeah, I, well, one of my favorite phrases that annoys both short and tall people is that height is a mindset and you can, you can't change your height, but you can change your strength. You can change your beta, you can change your holds, you can change literally anything else. So there's still a lot of possibility, no matter what height you are. And so for me as a short person, China Beach is a great example. Also the climb I did right before China Beach, this 514 called Papadarius, both of them are similar in that they, they have the, this like big like iron cross. I don't know if you can see my arm, but like big reach in the middle. And China Beach was so satisfying for me because the iron cross at the top is notorious. It's like the last crux. Of the climb that a lot of people fall off of. And if you're tall enough, it's actually not that, you know, crazy. But for me, that route never was never possible until I figured out the short person beta. And I didn't really give up on it because I mean China Beach is like iconic and beautiful. And I always again led with curiosity and was like, huh, wonder, if wonder if something's changed in myself. Maybe like the next time I go up there, I know because I had tried it a few times and could never figure out the Iron Cross move and it was never possible in my head. But I kept returning because maybe something had changed. I don't know. Like (laughs) might as well go see and try. And so there was just one session where this is also why I like climbing on rock like granite or gneiss or schist or anything because there's more options as opposed to like sandstone. Mm -hmm. Sandstone, you get what you get. And you can't really like mess around with it as much, but Romney, you know, there's a lot of intermediates. And so I got up there and I just remember like, okay, I was really zoned in on the holds of the Iron Cross, but like, how can I expand the vision of the beta and my body? And I started like scrubbing off random holds or like anything, any little foot chips, any little ripple, like, is there anything here that I could possibly use as a hold? And how does it fit into the puzzle? And this goes into the cliche of like climbing as a a body puzzle. You know, how can you fit your body into the rock and the route? So I, I found a hold like this sloper, this pretty marginal sloper. I was like, I could hang on to this. And so how else, you know, how else can I use my body? Well, I can't span it with my arms, this big iron cross, but I can span it with my legs. And this is another thing that I love about climbing and being a short person Is like, I really love the idea of legs as arms. Like your legs are stronger than your arms. And so if you can figure out a way to use your legs as arms, you can climb hard stuff. (laughs) That's another reason for Peach Gang is I'm just trying to like strengthen what's essentially the biceps or like the shoulder caps of my legs. (laughs) Yeah. Because I climb with my feet a lot. I climb so much with my legs.
1: So wait a minute. On this iron cross, you had, what, you were like toe-hooking a handhold or something? Yeah, so
0: I get to this part in the climb where you're like this, and then instead of doing the big iron cross, I reached up left hand to the sloper hold that I had cleaned off, and then I kick my left foot over to the iron cross holds that everyone uses with their hands, and I dead hang, I do this one-arm dead hang off the... Left hand sloper, and I kick my right foot over, and I hand I or I foot foot match, <laughs> and I change the left toe to a heel. So then I'm just sitting on the heel, and then I take this right hand and I do this Gaston, which I ended up calling the Iron Rose. So I do this big rose move to the jug, this jug that everyone go, that we all go to at the end. Sick. There's footage. There's that- like a. So
1: that photo is on your Instagram. It's like there's like a carousel on your Instagram. Yeah. And I think it's the second or third photo of that heinous. Like, I love that you're calling it a jug because I feel like it's like like a half pad. Wait,
0: Can you see this? photo? Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's uh, Yeah, there it is. Yeah. So, yeah, she's showing me the photo. I mean, what a cool body position. And I love also that, like, you identified some like marginal shit sloper and then dead hung off of it with one hand. It. So it just shows how strong and creative you are and also lynn hill you know really spoke of that too i think it was like on changing corners where she ended up using like kind of nubs as intermediates because she just didn't have the span to be able to you know kind of climb it the way the boys did and i think that's really creative i don't i'm six feet with like a i don't know even ape index or whatever and so i i don't like i'm not forced into creative problem solving in that way but I think that's almost a detriment because there are so many different ways to climb through sequences. And because I'm a very weak boulderer, I have found myself, it takes longer than it should, but I, I think it's helpful for a lot of people, regardless of your size to kind of internalize that short person mentality, because there's a lot of different ways to work through a sequence. And there's this 12B at the military wall here at the red. Called Tissue Tiger, which, like, all of my friends climbed by grabbing onto these, like, thin crimps to go through the crux section, but I just couldn't do it. And so I was forced to think more creatively and ended up, like, doing this, like, crazy undercling move, like, with really high feet. And it was, like, a scrunchy undercling, but it allowed me to essentially skip the thin <laughs> crimps and just go up to the next better hold. And when I did that, all my friends were like, What in the hell was that? And you know, because they never had to look for anything different. I didn't, I wasn't looking for anything different, but I kind of was forced to. And I think, yeah, there's something to be gleaned from that. I think that kind of short person mentality where you can, I shouldn't call it short person mentality. I should call it like height, as you say, like, like
0: height is a mindset.
1: Height is a mindset. Yeah. That height is a mindset mentality because there could be a way to find some efficiencies through sections just by getting more creative. And then maybe you have a little more gas for the next thing to
0: come. I will say I think short people benefit from being stronger and more dynamic to climb as a tall person. I think tall people can really benefit from being more flexible and mobile in their hips so that you can get those Mm -hmm. high feet and get into these short, scrunchy, boxy positions more easily.
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, because tall people don't. Everybody thinks tall people got it so good, but then, yeah, you get on some like I
0: know we scrunchy... can't leave the tall people behind in this like height is a mindset kind of you know. Sure, there's a place for everyone. Oh, well.
1: That's right. Yeah, <laughs> any sort of roof climb, any sort of scrunchy sit start, those are those tend to be a little tougher on us tall people, where our butts are hanging down so low, we're dabbing with our butts. Yeah, off you need a... more
0: core as a tall person.
1: That's the truth. Anything else tactically that, you know, that you've tended to struggle with or, you know, any kind of key takeaways that you found with tactics?
0: I've struggled a lot with being patient, whether that's taking a long enough rest between climbs or waiting for the right weather window, just rush, trying to rush things. This is like something in my life, too, that I've struggled with is patience overall. Like I just go all in. I'm like, I want to do it. Like I get all psyched and. When really it's good to just like be calm and wait for the right moment and savor it. And even if that moment passes by, it's like, okay, there'll be a next moment. (laughs) But yeah, tactically when working climbs, I've had to, I've started, I recognize that in myself when I get frustrated and I'm like, why haven't I sent it yet? Like it should have happened Mm -hmm. already. And when I start thinking about the should like, Oh, I should go right now. The minute I start, like that should is a trigger word, red flag word for me, because if I think I ever should do something, I probably should not, <laughs> I shouldn't do it.
1: How do you address that specifically? Looking at rest, and obviously rest periods, maybe for boulders different from doing like a, a long sport route. But do you set a timer, or um, you know, do your are your partners saying are they hiding your shoes from you? Like what? How do you get timer. the rest you need?
0: Yeah, usually like. 30, 20 to 30 minutes between routes and then boulder problems, like depending on how long the problem is, probably like 10 minute rest or so. Mm. And I also think about a really great piece of advice that, and one of my former coaches, Chris Sinatra told me, which was, you know, rest longer than you think, like rest longer. And this has actually worked on the routes. If I'm in a rest position and I'm about to go again, I always take an extra breath or two because it's like rest just a little bit longer, like pace yourself And then, you know, if my if I'm waiting on a in-between goes on a route and I'm like starting to put my shoes on or whatever and the timer hasn't gone off, it's like, okay it's fine. Just rest a little bit longer than you think.
1: All right, Nina, let's talk about mental game now. One of my favorite chapters here and also an area of expertise for you uh, being a a mindset coach, as well as someone who has put themselves in some pretty uh, mentally, I think, challenging positions. So I guess first and foremost, uh, where do you struggle with your mental game? Or do you struggle with mental game?
0: Oh, yeah, there's definitely been struggle. I have have struggled with ego a lot. That's probably been my biggest mindset thing. But it, it was because of some of the issues I dealt with ego as a young person that led me into my interest in mindset. So like I more so when I was younger I'm like I'm I wouldn't say I'm over it at this point cuz nobody's ever over their ego but uh, I've gotten better about not comp- but like when I was younger I would compare myself a lot to other people I remember in especially in the competition scene I would walk into a comp and be like okay who's here I should be able to beat so and so or this person's going to beat me and I would like size everyone up and think about it very externally and then just like not feel good if other people did a boulder faster than me like looking back I mean I I would say it's silly but it's not like a lot of people struggle with that type of comparison and climbing is so well suited to comparison it's a comparison sport so I have I have struggled with ego and comparison for sure
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and how have you addressed that because I think to your point, I think that, I mean, the ego is is incredibly strong in almost every single human on the face of this planet, unless you're on like a handful of mushrooms that obliterates the ego for a few hours. Um, we're mostly very much living with our egos. Yeah. And sometimes we tie our self-worth to performance or to how we compare to the pecking order of those at the crag it could be any number of other things as well. What do you, what have you found successful in order to address that? So you can be at your best, climb at your best and also be the most joyful when you're doing it. Yeah.
0: Well, I was forced to deal with it. I've talked about this quite a bit in the past, but essentially I won't go into it too much, but essentially when I was younger, I cheated in competition, in climbing competition, and I was caught and that experience was like the most difficult one of my young person life. And it forced me to ask myself, why? Like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I climbing? Do I even want to climb anymore? And who am I doing it for? And that lesson has stuck with me my entire life is like, okay, why am I doing this? Why am I climbing these highballs? Why do I want to do this hard boulder problem? Is it because... I want the attention. Is it because I, because my, it'll make my sponsors happy? Like, no, it's always been like, since that experience, when I was young, when I was a kid, it's been, actually, I think this boulder is like beautiful and cool. And in this amazing place that I love, or all of my friends are trying this other climb and I want to go out and hang out with my friends. And like, I don't care if they send it before me because we're all here together. Like, and I genuinely feel that. So asking the why has always been really important for me. And it like the ego will inevitably come out at some point. Like I'll still feel like maybe a little insecure or competitive, but like it's this low grade thing in the background now that I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, sure, I can like feel. Like, I am allowed to feel insecure or competitive or whatever, but I don't have to let that dictate my outward behavior or let it motivate me. Let that be the main driving reason of why I want to do something.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like just even connecting with the beauty of the climb, the beauty of nature, being out in nature. You know, these kinds of bigger, much bigger pictures help to present some perspective. Do you have like a, I know you do quite a bit of yoga. Is there, A mindfulness practice that you do or, you know, anything that that you work in order to help with the awareness and also then dealing with any sort of feelings, emotions, judgments, ego, that kind of thing that bubbles up?
0: Oh, yeah. The breathing aspect of yoga has really helped me. I'm really into yoga also just because of the creative movement, the mobility. I mean, I feel like one of those basic yoga bees (laughs) that's like, oh, my God, I've discovered yoga. It turns out it's amazing. Yeah, like you know, right. like a million other people that, that do yoga, but it is truly so good. There's something about breathing into your body, like stretching into the poses and allowing whatever emotions to come up. Like I have cried, <laughs> I've cried in a lot of yoga classes because I try, I really try and allow myself to feel. Like to go deep and feel like what's going on in my chest, mostly. That's where I feel a lot of stress and emotion. So it's like, okay, how tight is my chest? Can I open up my chest more? What comes up for me, even in my legs? Like when I do half pigeon pose, I have been in half pigeon pose, like sobbing in yoga class. It's kind of embarrassing, but nobody cares because it happens all the time. <laughs>
1: right. And just on that, and not to take us too much on a yoga tangent, but you've, you post, I find very captivating progressions of like when you're working on handstands and like all the fails that lead up to the almost that lead up to the doing it. And it's really like, it's quite rewarding to watch as coming from someone who can't even do a handstand if I'm like underwater in a swimming pool. So I'm interested because it's not like you've always been like a yoga savant. You've just stuck with it. It's that kind of timing commitment as you talk about. How has that impacted your climbing?
0: I I mean, the yoga has undoubtedly helped my climbing just in terms of flexibility and mobility, but I don't do yoga as a way to cross train for climbing. I see yoga as something totally separate that I, not totally separate, but like a separate activity that I'm genuinely interested in. Like it's not the means to the end for climbing. This is my attempt at like trying to separate myself from climbing and kind of going back to some of my insecurities around or like the space that I've been trying to create for myself for these past couple of years is my for my whole life, it has been all about climbing. And I'm realizing that I want more out of life. Like, and I love climbing and I love life, but there's so much more to learn and to apply. Like the lessons that I've learned from climbing, I can apply to other areas of my life and continue to grow. And I think I that has made me nervous about what that means for my identity and how i think of myself as an athlete and a human being but it's probably a good sign that i'm nervous because otherwise what's the point in doing something if you're not a little scared
1: (laughs) that's nice to hear i mean first of all nina this is the struggle climbing show not the struggle well-rounded human being show so no we will only talk about climbing (laughs) No, it's so great. I think it's, that, that gets back to kind of the pressures that we can put on ourselves. If we have other interests, if we are fulfilled, happy people in many aspects of our lives, then, you know, if we pop a pulley, it's not like our life is ruined and our self-worth and identity are thrown into a tailspin for six months until we can get back out and perform at the rate that we were. So, you know, it's nice to see elite athletes doing other things beyond the sport. I give you all permission to be well-rounded human beings but we're mostly going to talk about climbing. So last thing on the mental game chapter here is I'd love to just get your perspective on fear of falling. It's something that I've struggled with my whole life. I guess maybe because I started climbing as a trad climber out West and like it was always like climbing sub maximally and not wanting to fall or not being willing to test gear and this kind of thing. And then I moved to the red where it's all bolted and it's all like, you know, logically it's very safe, but it carried that like, reluctance, a heavy reluctance of being able to fall in into that. And I've been working on that for some time and I've made some progress as listeners will know through other conversations, but it's still there. And I think a lot of people contend with it. And you're, you've kind of professionally pushed that to the limits by doing, you know, pretty challenging highballs, kind of the tip of the spear for that, but also doing adventures and tried climbing and this kind of thing. So through your experience as well as the work that you've done with mindset coaching and this kind of thing. What's your perspective on the fear of falling and what do you tell people when they are struggling with that?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll start by pointing out one word that stood out to me that you just said was that, you know, with bolted climbs, for instance, there's like a, you know, it's logical that it's safe, but I always want to start by acknowledging that whatever fear you feel, is logical or it's real. Like it's there regardless of the environment that you're in. If you're feeling that fear, if you're experiencing it, you know, it's yours and it's a thing. It's like, it can be a tangible thing. So just kind of putting that out there of like, yes, your experience is valid and that fear you feel is real and making it into something that you can own. So thinking of your fear as a visualization, as like a little animal or like for me in my early iterations of fear management I thought of my fear as this ball of light in my chest that when I was climbing high balls and I would get scared I would start to recognize like what first of all what was going on in my body like what kind of physical symptoms of fear would I express and one of the things was like this tightness in my chest and like I would kind of like scrunch up and i would stop breathing but the minute i gave my fear an image of this light so when i would get too scared the light would like get brighter and it would overwhelm me and i couldn't see and i couldn't focus and so the minute i thought about my fear like that i also thought about taking that ball of light and just minimizing it not it wouldn't go away right because that's the other thing is your fear is yours and it will always be yours and it will never leave. <laughs> and as you get better at managing your fear, you know, your fear will take different shapes, but you can think of it as like something to maintain and manage. So, I try and like I when in my fear coaching stuff, I tell people to visualize their fear as something, whether again it's like a little monster or like a ball of light or however they want to picture it. Like some people have a have it as like a mist, you know, like a fog that overcomes them and it's like, "Okay, what do you want to do with that fog? What do you want to do with that fear? Give it a name. Give it like a substance. And then practicing like in that safe environment. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of great fall clinics out there where you take small controlled falls and you teach your body that, oh, like I I am safe when I fall this distance. And then I'm safe when I fall above a bolt. And then I'm safe when I fall like clipping a bolt, you know, or fall wall clipping kind of thing. And even that, like, you got to take, like, baby steps because sometimes taking the leap too soon teaches your body because you're still, like, falling with a lot of fear that's overwhelming. You're like, ah, like, that can be too much. So, yeah, I mean, time, like, simplicity and consistency always. Those are my two words of tried and true wisdom. But just understanding that your fear is completely natural and normal and it's not something that can ever be overcome, it's, but it can be something that you can become familiar with. And if you're more familiar with how you're expressing distress and fear in the moment, then you can accept it and still perform because you know what you're like when you're scared and that's okay.
1: I love all of that. I love especially kind of that visualization of kind of how the fear gets bigger and can become a little bit encompassing. But then, how when you are aware and you're able to control and shrink it down, it doesn't go away. The idea isn't to try to expel it because it's a part of you, right? So, so holding it with a little bit of care, and awareness, and grace is really nice to think about. That fear is a part of us. Yeah. I'm curious, and I don't want to take us on too much of a tangent here, but are you willing to share a, you know, a, a, a bit of a personal experience where that fear was growing and kind of you were pretty wrapped up into it and what that process was like to get it under control and then complete the climb.
0: Oh yeah. I've got a story. Oh, I haven't talked about this publicly too much. And I, yeah, basically (laughs) I was soloing recently, not too recently. It was last season. And I found myself off route and it was on a multi-pitch and I just, I hadn't done my homework. I knew that I was strong enough the physically for the route. The route was 5'10". And I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I have the strength and I've climbed it. I had climbed the route just once before and uh, and I rushed it. So I, I don't, I, I'm pausing because I don't even know if I want to like talk about the. It's, but I do, I do. I just, I don't want to go into details about the climb or whatever, but basically I did not have the mountain awareness for this climb. It's like out in the Alpine and and I rushed it. Like I rushed the weather window. I should have climbed the route several times more than the once that I did it. But basically Mm -hmm. I went up there and uh, I got lost on the route, went off route and realized too late I was like 30 feet above this turning point where I should have gone a different direction. And I had a moment where I thought, okay, I don't want to down climb because all the moves that I had just pulled through were like this low grade 5.11 crux. And I thought, all right, I can either down climb, which I don't want to do, or I can keep going up. And my mind instantly went into like very black and white, like, not like emergency mode, but not panicking. Like I just immediately mm-hmm. went, okay, what can I do right now? What are my options? What are my choices here? So I didn't want to down climb. And so I thought, okay, that means I'm going to keep going, you know, cause I could sort of see another route above me. And I thought, all right, I know that I don't know what route I'm on. I'm like on site free soloing this route. And I thought, I know there's no 5.14s up here. I know there's no 5.13, 5.12. And I also know that the higher I get to the top of this feature, the easier it will get. Like, it'll get chossier, but I think it will be fine. And I know I'm on a route because I had passed some pitons. So I just went into this, like, crystal clear. Everything that I had ever taught about mental training or coaching, everything that I had ever learned, I put to use in this experience. Like I looked at every foothold that I was using in every handhold and like breathing really deep breaths. I used a mantra at one point. I was like getting into a corner, like a weird little side corner. And I just thought like, okay, lean and push, lean and push, lean and push. Just like so focused on the moment and the movement. And I will say like, I was nervous at times, because I would get to a point and I'd be like, should I climb out into the face? Should I stay in the corner? But it was always very like this or that, like very calculating. And I was never scared. Like I I wasn't scared. I Again, I was nervous. I would be like, hmm, I don't know. There's like a moment of uncertainty. But I wasn't like, oh, I'm scared. Like it, that just never happened. And again, this is all because of like the years of experience that I had with eyeballing and falling managing fear in falling like the reason why i'm unsure that i even wanted to tell this story is because i have a lot of conflicting feelings about talking about soloing specifically Mm -hmm. and i this is a narrative i feel a need to control a lot and maybe that's something i need to look at myself about but i just want to put out there that soloing like is such a personal decision and for me to like mess up this badly on this climb and end up on-site free soloing, like I got out of that alive because I was lucky and because I had the experience, like in all my 22 years of climbing leading up to this moment, like it was very important. So yeah, that was like that whole continuous time when I was climbing this route, I was using it all. I was using the breath. I was using like very precise movement and it was the most present I had ever been in any climb, like it was an incredible experience, and I don't mean that in necessarily a good way.
1: <laughs> My palms are sweating here, just uh, living this experience through you. And uh, yeah, I can see how it's just such a mix, right? There's there's pride in that you were able to implement everything that you've learned and practiced up to that point to walk off of that climb, but also a little bit of. I don't know if guilt is the right word or or regret or shame. I I don't know. There's there's like some conflict here, right? And so I am interested. I mean, soloing in general is a very personal decision, and um, I think it happens more often than people. Everybody looks at like Honald and says like, "Oh my God, that's crazy to solo El Cap," and and it is in in a way for an outsider to see. But there are a lot of people who solo for personal reasons, um, oftentimes very sub maximally, and they're just getting laps in and. Like when I had Peter Croft on the show and he would do, as he said, 50 or 100 pitches a day, but well within his control. Obviously, there's a side of soloing that uh, is much more fraught with with danger when people are pushing the envelope of it. So we don't have to maybe go down that whole rabbit hole. But for you personally, coming off this experience, did you come away um, confident that you could and maybe would do more of this or that... Um, it's it's not an experience that you would want to go through again.
0: Both, like when I came off the top of that, uh, I was proud of myself for surviving, but I was pretty. I was also pretty ashamed of myself for putting myself in that situation, and I felt like I let my the people in my life down by being unnecessarily sketchy in that way. Like while I was soloing. I would have these flashes of like my parents or I would think about my partner at the time, or I think about my one, you know, my best friend, I told Alex Puccio that I was going up. And I just remember thinking like, man, they're going to be so pissed when I tell them <laughs> like, bomber, <laughs> this is going to suck. And it did suck. So yeah. I just it holds
1: you accountable though, in a way, right?
0: Yeah, it does hold me accountable. And again, like, I know a lot of people solo and a lot of people highball and we talk a lot about, I I don't know if soloing is glorified necessarily, but we talk about it and we make videos about it and I'm talking about it right now. And I, again, I wasn't sure if I wanted to share this story publicly in general, but it's not going to stop people from soloing. People are going to solo. And so part of me hopes that like by sharing this experience, I don't want to encourage people to solo course but i also acknowledge that it's like something that really attracts certain people and so just know that like there are people i then this is a reminder to myself i'm speaking to myself that there are people that love me there are people that love you or whoever is listening to this that solo like and considering them should be a factor in the decision of soloing so whenever I solo, I make it a thing. It's like a really important thing for me to go out and solo something.
1: I'd like to talk for a bit about the things that you're working on kind of outside of your climbing, if you still got a few minutes, mm-hmm. mentorship, your coaching, education, just, you know, kind of, I'll just leave it wide open for you. What is it that you're passionate about? What are you psyched on? What are you working on beyond your climbing goals? Yes.
0: Yeah, so as I've mentioned before, I, you know, have, I'm certified as a professional coach um, in life coaching. I study communication and leadership development. I'm a, currently about to get certified in the process communication model, which is a communication style of coaching. Basically, I have learned how to identify certain styles in people and in myself, and I'm able to connect with folks based on their communication styles. And so I am getting certified in how to teach other people how to recognize those styles. And all of this is in relation to my desire to help other people raise their self-awareness and gain enough confidence to go out and do the things that they love. And I've been able to put a lot of that into practice through a couple of mentorship programs I've been involved in. So... The Scarpa Mentorship Program was one in the first year of its iteration I was involved in. And now I've been working with North Face's Athlete Development Program, first as an advisor and now as a mentor. And then just like in my personal life and in some of my friends and communities, I've just tried to make myself available to like share whatever knowledge I have or like bring people out climbing or point them in the right direction. And I find all of that really fulfilling. So I am gearing up for a (laughs) i've sort of tried this in the past like i i coach rock you know i coach climbing in general i'll write training plans and i'm psyched to see people progress but it's not my passion like for like climbing coaching specifically i'm really interested in leadership and development coaching like that involves communication and mindset goal setting motivation i am so fascinated by how to motivate people and how mo- how people are motivated in general. So like how to motivate yourself. Because so much of that goes into training, goes into life goals, like going out and achieving things that you want to do, like you got to motivate. And that's like a huge piece of the puzzle that is hard. It's hard for a lot of folks. From a business perspective, it's also a great niche to get into, like motivating, like motivational coaching, narrative coaching, leadership coaching, all of this stuff I I feel like I've experienced a lot of in my life from other folks who've like modeled that for me, but also just a lot of my education. So I am on track to create my own business in leadership, coaching and consulting. I love working with athletes. I've worked with a few Scarpa and North Face athletes in the past and anyone who wants to develop their own personal brand or like just go out and like do cool stuff. I want to help people learn how to recognize those inner voices in themselves, like that communication coaching and learn how to motivate and like take action. Hell yeah. Yeah.
1: That sounds so awesome. So, so fairly soon here, or maybe even now, are we able to work with you? How does one work with you? How does one get in touch with you either now or when, when you're ready?
0: If you want to work with me, I'm accepting a really small number of clients. You can just DM me through Instagram. But for now, I'm mostly focused on getting certified in PCM. That's like the final puzzle for me. PCM has been something I've been working towards. Like I had my first introduction and training in PCM like 10 years ago, and it really stuck with me for the last decade. And I finally like I'm like, okay, I'm going to finish this because it has it had such a strong influence on me.
1: Well, we've spent a couple hours together right now. What process am I? now you have a chance to psychoanalyze me.
0: Oh, I mean, I have been thinking about this. I don't want to say. Oh, no. I, <laughs> well,
1: don't do it because my wife will be listening and then she'll like weaponize it against me somehow in order to go do the dishes or something. But now I'm curious. No, do you really have like a thought?
0: Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, this these are just like general. So PCM is based on personality parts, but it's how we communicate those personality parts If I had to guess from this, again, couple hour conversation, you seem very people oriented. Perhaps you care a lot about like the warmth and the sensory effects of your environment. And perhaps you are also like time and schedule oriented, like organized in a like numbers kind of way, just on top of your stuff and very conscious of like the work that you're putting out and making sure that it is productive and beneficial work. How does that sound?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty spot on, actually. Uh, You saw how my brain basically exploded when the power went out here for a little bit and uh, uh, slightly threw off the schedule that I had in mind for our chat here. So um, yeah, well, look, the assessment's free, but now if I want to work with you and work on some of these things and and become better at being me, then I'm going to have to book a session. So I'm going to keep an eye on your Instagram. I know you said you'll Maybe make an announcement there when you are ready, uh, but also you're taking some clients now, so that's cool. We'll link to all of that. And this has just been such a joy, Nina. I mean, to, to open up your heart and your mind like you did at the start of this conversation and talk about relationships and your personal experience there, and then dovetail seamlessly into this deep dive on your climbing and your training, mental game, all of the stuff that we typically talk about here on The Struggle. It's just a real treat to to be able to explore all of that with you. So thank you so much. Really grateful for it and psyched for all you have coming up. Make sure you keep us posted.
0: I really appreciate your presence and your willingness to, yeah, accept all of this, all the stuff that I had decided to dump on you today. So, yeah, thank you.
1: And that there wraps up part two with one of the strongest climbers that we've ever had on this show, both in body and mind, Nina Williams- I hope you guys liked this. If you did, let me know. If you didn't, let me know. It's all good, just let me know. You can connect with us on Instagram, at shenanigans and uh, at the Struggle Climbing Show. Now in a second, I'm gonna hit you with my takeaways and share some details on the extended interview content that's only available to patrons and subscribers. But first, let's support the brands that have made this episode available to you at zero cost. Give it up for Frictitious Climbing, makers of the revolutionary doorway mount for your hangboard. No drilling, no damage. It fits pretty much any doorway, and it is up and down in seconds. This thing is so rad, y'all. Check out how it works, along with all of their fantastic hangboards and accessories, over at frictitiousclimbing.com. Score 20% off a hangboard. When you pick up a doorway mount, I love this setup. It is so, so cool. And a big thanks to Fizzy Vantage, the official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle. Try their weapons-grade whey protein, their vegan PowerPlex protein, their supercharged collagen, and all of their science-backed products to help you level up your training and performance. In Europe, you can find it at the Epic TV online shop and Banana Fingers online shop. And in the US, at select gyms, And of course, at fizzyvantage.com, hit that link in your show notes or use code STRUGGLE15 at checkout for 15% off. And lastly, a shout out to CRIMPT, spelled C-R-I-M-P-D, which is the most advanced and motivating training app that I have ever used. You guys, it is free to download. It offers loads of protocols for boulderers and sport climbers, and it just takes the guesswork out of how to program training. So if you are a self-coached athlete or if you've hit a plateau in your fitness, check this one out. Hit that link in your notes or pop over to crimped.com or just search crimped, C-R-I-M-P-D, in your app store to check it out. Tons of takeaways, y'all, from part two here with Nina. I really liked what she said about training up energy systems, especially incorporating drop sets. I have already added those to my plan and they're super fun. I highly recommend them. Uh, I also really valued her experience on China Beach and how creative she got in order to work through sections that at first seemed impossible due to her height. But height, as we now know, is just a mindset. And thinking of legs as arms opens up so many possibilities and is a thought experiment that I'm going to be incorporating a lot into my upcoming projecting. And then lastly, Nina's perspective on ego and fear were really enlightening for me, and I'm gonna be listening to that mental game chapter again and again down the road, no doubt. Well, if you're not a patron or subscriber, then that clips the anchors on this episode. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. And if you are a patron or Apple subscriber, I got a bit more of this chat with Nina to share with you, where she reveals how she trained up endurance, When she switched from bouldering to sport climbing, how to rest on good holds as well as bad holds, and how she mentally handles hard projecting when the progress comes slowly. We also wrap things up with the flash attempt, which is as entertaining as it is useless. I hope you guys enjoy that. It's some fun stuff. Now, if you're not a patron or subscriber and you'd like to hear that, along with gaining access to other perks such as pro clinics from the likes of Dr. Tyler Nelson, Favia Dubick, Drew Mack, Ravioli Biceps, Jordan Cannon, Alex Johnson, and so many more, along with extended and ad-free episodes, plus, of course, the warm fuzzy feeling of supporting me as I work my harness off down here in the podcast slash utility closet. Pop on over to patreon.com slash the Struggle Climbing Show, or simply subscribe through Apple Podcasts, you can cancel anytime. So it really is totally risk-free. If you hate it, you can just cancel. But I think you'll like it. So check it out and thank you so so much for your support. It's a ton of work out here, but it's also really rewarding. So thank you. Did you know that the Struggles Carbon Neutral in partnership with the Honnold Foundation? Well, you do now and they are awesome. They're doing such amazing work to bring clean energy to communities around the world. Check out their latest impact report to see what they are doing. It is incredibly inspiring, and I hope you can support them. Swing over to humbledfoundation.org. They're really doing it right. Toss them some love if you can. And lastly, The Struggle is a proud member of the Plugtone Audio Collective, a diverse group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. This show was produced and hosted by me, Ryan Devlin. The Struggle makes us stronger. Let's climb hard and do good things in the
0: world.